Hello, Proop Kittens. This is your old pal, the Proop Dog. And welcome to the Greg Proop's Film Club. Is this replacing the Smartest Man in the World podcast? No. It's another podcast adding to the vast panoply of Proop casting that we have going on here in the ether of the Proop cast universe. Tonight's episode is the exciting 1994 adventure film directed by Oscar winner and fellow San Carlos native Catherine Bigelow, Point Break, starring the immortal Kanu Reeves and the inevitable Patrick Swayze. This is a podcast about a movie, and halfway through, the movie actually plays. So, if you've got Point Break queued up on your computer, or on your VCR, or on your DVR, or whatever manner of device you're watching movies on these days, when we get to the middle, I'll indicate the time it's time to start the movie. Then, when the movie's over, you can play the rest of the podcast. Or, if you want, just listen to it all the way through and break all the goddamn rules. I'll see you at the other side. It's gotta be that way. Via con Dios, bro. Smartest man in the world, Proopcast, as we take to the ether while they have me situated in front of the loudest speaker I've ever sat in front of in my entire life. I feel as if the late John Lord from Deep Purple has just played a G chord through my cerebral cortex, forcing the hammer to hit the anvil of my eardrum in a most uh, tintinabulating way. Uh, I'm in the middle of an Edgar Allan Poe story. I can neither see nor hear you right now, ladies and gentlemen. Because of the volume of what just went through the back of my head. Uh, wow, like a frog's tympanic membrane, I will try to reticulate and see if we can reset this fucker. And good evening, it's the smartest man in the world, Proopcast. We're taking to the ether here from cinema's most devoted shrine, here in the tennis shoe neighborhood of Los Angeles. What used to be a dedicated place of Hebraic prayer, a place where you could get every manner of kosher anything, has turned into everyone looks like turtle from Entourage Street. <laughs> and here we are at the People's Chinese Theater, the Cine family here on Fairfax Avenue. For a proop quotidian, proopal Iranian, uh, proopals and the Maytals, uh, screening of the Proops Loops classic uh, Point Break, starring Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's an immortal movie that will live forever and stand the test of time. One man's gem is another man's quirky cult classic, ladies and gentlemen, and one woman's gem is another man with glasses. <laughs> A lot of people, well, not a lot of people, one people, one, I don't even know this dude, but he scoffed. When the notion was presented that I was going to screen the movie Point Break as part of a podcast and an evening, perhaps, of entertainment, all inclusive on its own, like a burlesque show, a little bit live before, a little bit of lag, a little bit of huh, and then, Kanu. That's right. Any event of that. Uh, one person threw their taste all up in my face in less than 140 characters and went, um, uh, <laughs> point break, really? <laughs> um, 
They didn't snork in their tweet. That was implied. I could tell by their derisive tone that a snork was, one, eminent, and two, implicit. And so uh, they go, uh, point break, really? <laughs> uh, I guess TCM doesn't... <laughs> I couldn't read the rest of the tweet because of the bile that had risen into my eyes. I had little greasy monkey windshield wiper <laughs> screeching out the horror that was that fucking end of that tweet. So I thought to myself, well, there's two reasons. One, this movie's awesome nimity incarnate. And two, it's fucking summer, you douchebag. I'm not going to show fucking Showa in July. It's the summertime fun sensation. 1939. All the fun you had pulsing through your veins is gone. It's fucking point break. Let me explain how this movie got made. In Olympus, the gods gathered. Ambrosia was supped upon. And from an enormous vessel, a crater, if you will, uh, wine was drunk. Not mixed, but taken straight. Just then, Hera turned to Zeus and said, Are you fucking joking? An FBI agent who has to pretend to be a surfer to infiltrate a band of bank robbers who wear the masks of recent presidents and Lori Petty. And Zeus, from deep inside the cavern, once he keeps his inimitable and immortal, immutable powers, drew forth a swirling ball that gathered in his hand and became the gigantic, cohesive metal thing that we know in awe and wonder when it strikes as a fucking thunderbolt and chucked it toward the earth, where the saints caught it and made this fucking movie. Post-haste. It was the early 90s. It was a time of desolation in the land. The corn had failed and the cattle's ribs shone. One man strode in a tattered robe made of the brightest colors. His name was Patrick Swayze. Several years before, his penis had swung both to and fro. He was, in fact, working a dick swing shift. In a movie where girls whose protuberances were perhaps too large and their awkwardness belied itself took solace, a movie that made moist an entire generation of girls wearing ballet flats. <laughs> a movie where the dancing was dirty and no one backs baby into a fucking corner, you fucking dickwad. I'm paraphrasing the line, but you get the idea. Pat Swayze made it immortal then. Then there was a little movie called Joast. It was an Indian feature by Penny and Rob Marshall. Whoopi Goldberg starred as an alternative universe where people made vases. Demi Moore existed on another plane where the only way to communicate was to cry. In the movie Joust, Pat Swayze builded Jerusalem. And upon that site did the holy shrine and sepulchre take form. Later, 
in a movie called Roadhouse, all Neil. He defended the honor of a bar that had two deuces as its logo. Where Ben Gazzara, who often played Jewish, played a Midwestern tavern owner with a grudge. Taking a break from his usual duty in independent films, Ben Gazzara thought, I'll wear high-waisted fucking unbelievable yacht rock trousers through this whole fucking movie while unbelievable boltons do a fucking huge Farrah dance of Morgan Fairchild proportions that leaves my mind exploding with A-team reverie. When a scissor kick is thrown backwards while wearing mom jeans, it's Pat Swayze time. When Sam Elliott, who can carry an entire nation on his own, as he's shown time and time again in movies like Lifeguard and Frogs. A little movie called Tombstone. A little movie called fucking Golden Compass. Thank you. When Sam Elliott walks into a movie, two things are going to happen. One, ladies are going to be little. Hey, little lady. The vaporizing effect he has upon women that they shrink before his very eyes. Become doll-like figures of veneration that he alone can protect with a kick to the knee. Boy, that hurts, doesn't it? It's Pat Swayze time. When members of your family are killed summarily by fucking gangsters who have no business being there. A little movie called Next of Kin. Do you fucking sit down and take it like a puddle of bitch? <laughs> no. You rise up and form a cojone fucking cone. That's two scoops on top of a pointy dick. A pointy dancer dick. That will ballet your fucking ass into the ground. My belt's up here and my hair goes down to here. My heart's as big as Oklahoma or whatever pretend state we're in. <laughs> Try to engulf my highlights. You can't. Pat Swayze strode out of the Arctic like Mary Shelley's creation. Two things on his mind. One, no, I can, yeah, yeah, somebody beat me there. I can dance, but no, I'm not. And two, I'll kick fight you on a fucking lily pad. Yeah, and I won't wear a shirt and I will wear drawstring pants. <laughs> let it be written and so let it be set down that upon this night, once again, Patrick Swayze held Swayze. Look upon his works, ye fucking shod in street shoes. and despair that you didn't take Tai Chi and dance. <laughs> then you could have worn a wife beater and looked bitchin' instead of fucking gay. <laughs> Which is how you look. 
The catamaran courses through. The cobalt water splits. Like a lizard's tail, the white foam wriggles and shifts in shape. Now one color, now another, now just bubbles. And a name reverberates through the Polynesian, hibiscus-scented, heavily-laden, almost poisonous breeze that wafts across the ocean. Kanu! Kanu! It's Keanu. But as Peter O'Toole said, yes, but one gets the idea. It means something in Hawaiian. First of all, is Hawaiian a distinct language or are there many dialects of Hawaiian? For all we know, the people of Lanai scoff at the slang of the paltry wit of the people of Maui. Think about it, y'all. Kanu Reeves, whose first name means, quote, cool breeze over the mountains. Below the equator, I'm so alpine refreshed. It's almost a defrost situation. Someone better get down there and nuzzle. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's getting cold down there. So bring both of your mittens. Uh, Kanye Reeves, whose first name means it's Keanu. Kill Breeze of the Mountains in Hawaiian. I have a piece of paper in my hand, and that means it's official. I didn't make it up. Yeah, it's history, yours and mine. It's from a little site called I am uh, I B. It's from a little. It's from I IBMD, whatever that's fucking called. I'm not certain that they're linguistic experts. He was born in Beirut, Lebanon in 1964, and then again in our hearts. <laughs> All the women in this room remember the first time they saw him, whether it was Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure or even... <laughs> yeah, or even, what was that one with Charlize Theron? Sweet September fucking rain, the one, the one based on a Guns N' Roses album from the 80s. <laughs> Sweet November, whatever that fucking—I don't know what the name of that movie was. That one didn't. That one didn't float that hard. Uh, what, no matter what movie it was, the first time you saw Kane, you thought, "Oh, those twin limpid pools of sepia. I could so die and take a total hot tub in his eyes." I know how you felt when you saw Kane. Because he tried to play a serial killer in that one movie where James Spader was the cop, and you're like, no, 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 no. Who fucking cast this? <laughs> Were you smoking Switching Chronic or something? Because uh, anybody knows James Spader's the serial killer. Kane is the detective who goes, I'm going to stay here all night, even though it's not my job. <laughs> and James Spader's the one who's going to go, you don't have any sponges. 
Well, not that many. <laughs> he tries, but he's always a good guy. Even in the movie um, Constantine. Did anyone see the movie Constantine? Yeah, in this fucking crowd. Are you kidding me, Greg? I have the graphic novel stapled to my bed so that when I get in, I can read it before the moment my eyes close. I made a picture of all my friends. I melted the food I like and I used a different food for each friend. Yeah, you guys fucking saw Constantine. He can be terse. No fucking question. He could have done Blade Runner. There, I'll fucking say it. He could have done fucking Blade Runner. Yeah, would have been a different movie. He could have done it. Oh, Blade Runner. Has anyone been watching that lately on fucking cable? Oh, my God. Rucker Hauer. When he gets hit in the head with the pole and he goes, <laughs> that's the spirit. You're like, that is fucking good. Good fucking movie. What is it? Attack ships on the belt of Orion? What's it? Attack, attack ships of fire? A flame? I'm fucking it. I'm fucking a movie I love. And not in a positive way. Yeah, someone just went with like little fingers like a little bit. You don't know the quote and yet you're trying to quote it and it's fucking weak. A cool breeze swept over the mountains. The IDMB mini biography. Keanu's trademark, intense, contemplative gaze. In the 70s, I was an exotic dancer in Barstow, California. In the afternoons, I was taking care of two children, one of which I bore. My dancer name was Intense Contemplative Gaze. And I made less money than any dancer at that club. Trixie beat my ass every fucking night. And so did Bambi with a heart over the eye. Kanu got his abdominal scar from a motorcycle wreck in Topanga Canyon says IDMB. Named after his great, his uncle, Henry Keanu Reeves. Keanu is a derivation of the Reeves' great-great-uncle, Heolu, whose name means the soft breeze raising in Hawaiian. I know, I'm afraid to laugh too. <laughs> I don't want it to be insulting to people who are going, you fucking massacred that name, man. His great uncle was a venerated man and you shit all over that with your pronunciation. And then your Smarty Boots group of fucking people who saw Constantine and have it on Laserdisc. We came out after Laserdisc, dude. Was manager... This is an IDMB fact, so I don't know if it's a real fact. It could be like a wiki fact. Because wiki facts are the best. Wikipedia is awesome. Greece used to be a country. <laughs> History is stuff that happened. Uh, had a job? No, there it is. Was manager of a pasta shop in Toronto. 
No, he's a teen in Toronto, right? He, he was born in Lebanon, they moved somewhere, and then they moved somewhere, according to this. But then they ended up in Toronto, and uh, he managed a, a managed a pasta shop? I've never worked in a pasta shop. I'm a little iffy on... Uh, here's my first question. A pasta shop meaning like a place where they made pasta, like there was a bunch of flour and, and there was like machines or people cut it by hand, even more unlikely with giant weird saw-like things. And there was a lot of, hey, Keanu, hey. When he come in, he go, hello, good morning, Giuseppe. Buongiorno. I have brought everyone coffee. For I know it is a particular predilection. <laughs> or does that mean it was like a, you know, pasta, 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 thingy, 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 where people just came in and got spaghetti, and he happened to just happen to coincidentally be Keanu Reeves working in a pasta shop? It's sort of like when Gregory Peck, if you ever, you know who Gregory Peck the actor is. I presume you do, you're a movie crowd. Again, for the women, there's really no end to Gregory Peck. He's the Keanu Reeves of the 50s. Um, <laughs> Gregory Peck Cade, uh, Cade, or played, if you wish to invert every other letter I do. If you're listening in dyslexia, t- tune me to stun. Gregory Peck uh, played Captain Ahab, and he went uh, about the whale, uh, Moby Dick. Um, he tusks me. So he was unbelievably good-looking, like ovary vibrating good-looking. Uh, Gregory Peck was hot stuff and then later he did uh, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird where he plays the most square and just guy that ever fucking walked the face of the earth so get up on that Uh, that's who women marry yeah they want Pat Swayze and Point Break we all do (laughs) but you hope to marry Atticus Finch and then not die like every fictional wife Greg Peck has She's dead now, and I'm... I'd like an ice cream, but I don't know how to get it on my own. I wonder if someone would take my enormous masculine body to an ice cream shop. Would you like some linguine? I'm so hungry. How about some meatballs? All I'm saying is... At no matter what age Kanye was at, he didn't have to work that hard. <laughs> he's cool. He's not a douchebag. He doesn't hate women. He's not an asshole. He was the best looking guy that ever worked in a pasta shop in Toronto. <laughs> You've seen what Canadians look like. They can be devastating, no question. <laughs> they can be devastating. Then there's the other ones. Hey, how's it going? My name is Gordon. Can I get you a donut or something? Uh, yeah. So, Catherine Bigelow, who directed this movie, is, uh... Hallowed be her name. The only woman to win an Oscar for Best Director in the history of what we laughingly refer to as the Academy Awards. Uh, Evidently, they didn't get the message that women had been making movies for a while uh, until, what was it, four years ago. 
they gave her one. She's also, I believe, the youngest person uh, maybe to win one or be nominated. I don't know. There's paper here. It probably says something about facts in it. <laughs> I do know this about Catherine Bigelow. She made a little movie called fucking Near Dark. Yeah. Which is... If you're a vampire fan uh, and you're within the sound of my voice, if you're a, a teenage poop kitten and you're out there listening and you love Twilight and you've heard me fucking take it apart 16 ways from Wednesday, make fun of all the actors in it and their wooden acting and shit and the unbelievable, unfeasible plots and stuff, I'm going to throw you a fucking bone. It's called Near Dark and it's fucking awesome beyond all measure. Bill Paxton. Let me just throw out the line, it's finger looking good. When you watch it, you'll know what I'm saying. I don't want to, no fucking spoiler alerts in the poop cast. Uh, and then Catherine Bigelow also, uh, more than anything, besides a movie called Blue Steel, which I think where she redefined police work. Uh, at the end of the movie Blue Steel, Jamie Lee Curtis, who's been dating a serial killer unbeknownst to herself, she's a policeman who's dating a serial killer, but she doesn't know this. Her partner, Clancy Brown, who is the Kurgan, by the way, in the uh, Highlander movie, and is, yeah. That's the movie we should fucking show next. We've been discussing what we should show for the next uh, uh, Proop Loop, and uh, I argue, you know, all about Eve and shit like that, because I'm, you know, I'm not gay, but I make no case. And uh, <laughs> let's show Wizard of Oz, but let's just show it really slow. <laughs> let's show Cabra and have a sing-along. <laughs> They'll come and gather you. Yeah. I think perhaps I'm aired and it should be what was the movie I put forward? Highlander. Fucking Highlander. But only if we could edit the middle hour out. <laughs> the part where he's in Scotland and he gets hit by the lightning bolt, fucking awesome. Then when he gets to New York and Clancy Brown's back and he goes, You look like hell. And I'm doing Christophe Lambert. <laughs> I'm, I'm traveling incognito. <laughs> Fucking Clancy Brown's so good in that movie. Uh, then, Catherine Bigelow won the Oscar for The Hurt Locker, which I will give this, too. The only movie about Iraq that I can remember that makes any fucking sense at all that even addressed Iraq in the length of that fucking giant-ass 15,000-year fucking boondoggle uh, that we got ourselves into forever and ever. Catherine Bigelow is the one that made the movie about it, and it's a jittery, janky, fucking hard-to-watch uh, intense kind of movie because of uh, what she sticks in it. She's from San Carlos, California. I am from San Carlos, California. No one is from San Carlos, California. <laughs> no one is from San Carlos, California. Except for me, Catherine Bigelow, Dana Carvey, and a guy named Doug. You don't know him. <laughs> I think she went to San Carlos High. There's only two fucking schools. Uh, San Carlos is where I'm from. It's the widest place in the entire Bay Area near San Francisco. Uh, what we used to call Home of the Plain Yogurt Festival. <laughs> anyway, somehow she escaped San Carlos and the uh, suburban confines. And she uh, made it all the way to Hollywood where she is awesome to this very day. I'll say this about the movie Point Break. It stands the test of time for several reasons. People call it an action film. It's not. It's a romance between men and groups of men. <laughs> they don't have to endure the act of physical love with one another because they sublimate it in a thousand different physical ways. 
the kick of adrenaline and the toss of the hair will let you know that this is a sassy movie that will take no fucking prisoners whatsoever. Every set piece is emblazoned in every fucking frame. This movie doesn't fuck about in any way. When Gary Boosie comes on screen and orders, yeah. There's a chili dog ordering scene in the movie. That's more exhilarating than anything that was in Thor or Green Lantern. You know what I'm fucking saying, you guys. You know what I'm fucking saying. Thank you, buddy. Exactly. I could eat, what is it? The inside of a rhino's ass. (laughs) Please don't switch to another podcast right now, please. We're getting so close. I was really winding it up there, and then the rhino's ass thing jumped in. It's a fucking true ass line from this movie, man. Let me just put it this way. This movie's uh, uh, anything you want it to be. Uh, 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 Several years ago, I was at a showing of um, Coyote Ugly with my wife. And it was when it was out in the movie theaters. We went over to the Beverly Connection, which I don't even think has a movie theater anymore. And uh, one vital point in the movie, Piker, 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 Piper Parabu, who plays the young girl who goes to New York to lip sync at a bar where girls dance on the bar and pour alcohol on it in Charlie Daniels' plays. It's a Bruckheimer. Well, the devil went down to Georgia. What the fuck is happening? So, in that movie, I can't believe no one's seen Coyote Agla in this room. Uh, The whole crowd was eight-year-olds, eight to 12. We were the only adults, my wife and I. And she failed or something didn't happen or she was disappointed mildly. And I went, (laughs) yeah, a jaded fucking sophisticalis. Cavalier, thoughtless, really. And a 10-year-old behind me went, it's not funny. (laughs) One child, Citizen Kane, is another sweating older man's coyote ugly. I give to you tonight the Citizen Kane of surf movies, the movie by which all movies shall be judged. When men wear masks into a bank and demand all the money, this is the movie they are thinking about. If you are listening now on your iPod or you're at the gym or you're at work or you're driving, pull over and get the movie Point Break right now. (laughs) And upon our count, we shall start it. Everybody, five, four, three, two, one. I give you Point Break. One of the great love stories ever committed to celluloid, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. I'm drained. I'm exhausted. Uh, Is there a a better decision made in the history of cinema than when Pat Swayze jumps out of the plane and Keanu looks at him and looks at the gun and then goes, fuck it, and jumps out of a plane? (laughs) You're like, yeah, 
Buster Keaton never did that. And he was a genius, man. He jumped off of streetcars and drove trains into rivers. Uh, I can't get over how much they love each other. Uh, and I'm not including Lori Petty in this equation at all. She seems like the superfluous ex-girlfriend to both of them at one point. When he's threatening Lori Petty at the end and Kiana's all mad about it, it's kind of like, I'm mad, but... If I catch you up and I jump off a plane and then we roll around in the dirt in a parachute for a while, it's like symbolic mom gene 90s love. Then later they have one last go at each other when he shows up at Belle's Beach and they roll around in the surf one more time and then are symbolically married forever. When the handcuffs are put on and once again they are linked for eternity and then Pat Swayze... Hey, Tet. Hey, Robbie. Great tech there, buddy. Just start the theme song whenever. And don't rewind it, Gox. Don't rewind it, goddammit. Rewinding causes fear. And fear will cause this proof cast to start over. Could it be a little louder, too? Uh... Wow, yeah. Then he lets him go at the end, right? It's the final divorce, the last decree when he goes, my whole life's been about this moment. You're like, your whole life's been about robbing banks and shit. You got all of your friends killed, including Nathaniel, who looks like Captain Morgan with the mustache. He's the only one with short hair and he's got a pirate mustache. Did anyone ever notice that the other guy in the gang besides Roach is named Gromit? I don't know if anyone caught that. Uh, and Rosie, uh, Rosie isn't one of the gang. He never is in any of the robberies. But when they go to the beach and surf at night, he puts his leg in the fire a lot. <laughs> he has no feeling below the equator. <laughs> I love their gang so much, man. And then the other gang, the, uh, the, 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 the meth dealing gang. And you know they're bad because they're scruffy. And their girlfriends wear butt thongs. The, that's right. The good girl, the good guys gang's girlfriends wear white peignoirs, right? They wear a little white negligee or whatever. And then when she dresses at the beach very modestly, she pulls up her cutoffs. And you don't, you don't get to see any Scampi special because she's got the towel down and whatnot. Thank you for someone squealing on Scampi. The bad guy's girlfriends answer their door in their bra and curse a lot and shit. Um, let's talk a little bit about the guest starring of uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers lead singer Anthony Kiedis in this film. Thank you. Uh, there was, as you know, during the 90s and early 2000s, a, a flea epidemic in movies. There was many independent films where the bass player from the Red Hot Chicky Pickens... Uh, and I call them that because years ago I did a, a, a VH1, like some sort of heinous, heinous, uh, if, you, if you vote online, we're picking the favorite bands. This will give you an idea of what year it was. Creed played that year. It was Creed, uh, Metallica, uh, Christina Aguilera, and Red Hot Chili Pickens. And Selma Hayek introduced the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Don't ask me how this worked at all. Uh, um, John Leguizamo hosted the whole thing. 
Yeah, and acted like he was a squirrel on a 15-day fucking meth binge. Like, he was just like this for the whole fucking show. Here comes Metallica! Uh, um, Christina Aguilera! That's how he introduced every act. But they brought out Selma Hayek, who was wearing like a snood. I don't even know what was going on. You two, Tenacious D, and me and Brad Sherwood and uh, Chip Eston from Whose Line? Yeah, that was the fucking show. So, uh, anyways, they bring out Selma Hayek and she goes, uh, Nala, introduce those. Yeah. <laughs> if you know her, you know that I'm doing an exact accent of her. Because like Penelope Cruz, they have hilarious cartoon Latin accents. I'm not making this up. I'm not putting them down. I'm not being pejorative about their background. Selma Hayek talks like this. Now I'm going to pay for the bang. The red hot chili piggy. So they came out. I can't remember which jam they did, uh, but they didn't get near it. Let me put it that way. It was one of those gigs where after the song was over, you're like, let me know who wins. Uh, so... <laughs> Anthony Kiedis, I was discussing uh, with our producer, Ryan, before the show. He, is not, he had not actually seen the movie before. Or had you seen it? Uh, when I was like 15. When you were like 15, okay. I, when I was 15, I was watching um, Freebie and the Bean with James Caan. So, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. That was for two people. That movie featured Valerie uh, Harper from TV's Rhoda uh, re receiving the gift of Coniglius. So... I've never known how to pronounce it. Um, what you missed when you were 15 was Anthony... Ke what, and we brought it up tonight was... I said, Anthony Kiedis from the Red Hot Chicky Pickies is in this movie. And he's like, are you fucking really? And I went, yeah, uh, for sure's. And I said, watch the scene when they get in a fight at the beach. Because the other guys go like... Keanu goes, this is the part where you tell me how locals rule and how yuppie scum should fucking go back to the valley or whatever. And the guy goes, no. And then Anthony Kiedis goes... That would be a waste of time. <laughs> and does more arm movements than any human has ever fucking called. It's like he's calling penalties on the entire fucking Green Bay Packers for the last 18 seasons, man. He is fucking working some rap arms in that fucking scene. And then the next guy throws the line away and just goes, no, we're just gonna fuck you up. Then later, when they go back to, to do the bust at the bad guy's house, you may have noticed when Kanu takes out his dental mirror, because as you know, all FBI agents at Quantico, that's right, they swear an oath of loyalty to this country and they are issued a dental mirror. But a really extra super long one that you couldn't use in your mouth. So you can look around corners and shit. Ingenious! Now, we're lucky it was Catherine Bigelow. She keeps the fucking ampage up and the adrenaline's always pumping. If that was Guy Ritchie, when he opened up the mirror, it would have gone, a shock tonga, a shock tonga, a shock tonga, a shock tonga. And then your eye would have gone into the mirror and blasted out the other side and then come back the other way. And then Holmes would have, like, lit a cigarette. <laughs> so he's looking at the mirror. Anthony Kiedis is laying on the bed, if you notice in that scene, listening to music on his headphones while his bad guy naked girlfriend takes a shower. Yeah, the girls on the bad guy team are naked and shit. You may have noticed Lori Petty, even when they made love, had a towel around her. I'm just saying. 
It's a moral judgment this movie's making. Anthony Kiedis is laying on the bed listening to a primitive 1991 Walkman and is listening to music and overacting <laughs> during the music listening part. He's going like this. Like, what the fuck are you listening to? Are you listening to a garbage truck and running into an alley full of water bottles? What are you listening to? Are you listening to armadillos being fired from a catapult into a fucking wall of plexiglass? I mean, what the fuck makes people go like this when they're listening to music and shit? And by the way, of all great uh, rock movies, this has the shittiest rock score of any fucking movie. Name me one fucking song in this movie. All right, there's one. If six were nine, when they go to the party, right? When he goes, uh, let's see tonight. Uh, after their first date, the first date between Pat Swayze and Keanu where they beat up the bad guy gang together. And then he goes, keep walking, right? Like, don't stay. They might attack you again. And you're my girl now, even though you don't have your surfboard, right? So they get to the car and he goes, they don't even care about the spiritual side. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's getting kind of deep. We even had coffee yet and whatnot. And then he goes, having a thing over my house tonight. Uh, Tyler knows where it is. I'm like, oh, you want to go out after we just beat those guys up and shit? Then when he gets to the house, you hear Hendrix, womp, womp. Fuck you, bitch, right? And uh, <laughs> Gromit <laughs> goes... And then another dude wearing a do-rag who we have not previously seen in the movie rolls his tongue a lot for no reason. We've all been to parties in L.A. Has anyone ever gone like this when you walked into a party? That is radical. It's the only decent song in the whole fucking movie. When they're surfing, it's Wire Train. Uh, when they're later on, when they do the bank robbery, it's public image. It's an arcane public image song they stuck in. What's the last song? Who does the last song? Who was that? Rat. It's Rat. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, Rat. But it's the wrong Rat song too, isn't it? <laughs> kind of is. It should have been round and round, and we all fucking know it. Yeah. What goes around comes around. That one. That fucking one. That one. It should have been. Wow, because at the end of The Matrix is the exact same ending, except he's in a phone booth, right? Because it goes boom, 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 and then whop, boom, 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 and like you expect Keanu to fly into the air and shit. Uh, I loved it so much. I loved it again, and I've seen it a billion times now. Uh, does anyone want to do questions, and then we'll all go home? No? Wow, it's a quiet thing. Okay, all right. From the front, I love it. Do you have to go over there? Robinson, oh, you're... Taking time off from your busy duties of playing the fucking theme song when it doesn't go and making me deaf. Now that your duties are. Thank you, brother. Yeah, he's over here. What is a blue flame special? I love it. I think there's two mentions of blue flame special. What? The two screenwriters who wrote this, I, I looked them up today. They really didn't write a bunch of other stuff. They wrote some TV shows and shit like that. They never wrote like a bunch of other movies. And then the one dude, uh, Peter Illich, is it? He's in his, on his IMDb picture is a cigar and it says, now you can see Point Break Live, the stage show based on the movie he wrote, Point Break. And you're like, really? It's been 20 fucking years. And the, so I guess they made some money off it. But um, uh, I think he's combining um, a Blue Plate special with something I don't understand at all. <laughs> Because I don't know where the fucking flame comes from. That's the part that I love. Young, dumb, and full of cum. And that's maybe a minute into the movie. We have had no fucking dialogue and someone says young, dumb, and full of cum. Even when you're watching it on TV, you're like, oof. Oof. 
That was like a bird hitting the glass. <laughs> Poof. Oh. John C. McGinley goes from zero to 60 faster than any fucking actor. Yes, the surfboard bothers me. And yes, you bother me! He's the opposite of every other, uh, uh, you know, head detective in every movie. Because usually they go, God damn it, you're getting too close. Be careful out there. They always do that 180 right at the end. John C. McGinley never tells them to be careful. He wants them to die. <laughs> a blue flame. You're a real blue flame special, aren't you? I don't know what the fuck that means. Uh, well, what is it? I even take the skin off my chicken. <laughs> Why, that's certainly a heart-healthy choice, Agent Utah. <laughs> oh, that one's a goodie. Then later, of course, they're seen eating pizza in virtually every scene they're together, right? Gary Busey, the other great love affair of the movie, <laughs> Angelo and Johnny, uh, are, are together at night eating pizza in cars a lot. Uh, and then they give the pizza to the other guys and shit. So they never really take the skin off their chicken. But that's because Angelo's a rebel. Uh, and does us the very great favor in the bathing suit, uh, diving into this pool scene of having a towel around him a good deal of that scene. <laughs> We are at no point forced to see Gary Boosie's boosies. <laughs> I don't know if that was editorial or simply aesthetic, but I approve, I approve of that choice. We have time for 85 more questions. <laughs> Where are you? I can neither see nor hear you. Much like in the greatest robbery scene of all time, after the meatball sandwiches are ordered, when behind them, like a Monty Python sketch, <laughs> I was in England last year and they said the greatest sketch of all time was on Little Britain and it was exactly that sketch, right? It was uh, Matt Lucas is in a wheelchair behind him, the, and the guy's talking in the foreground and he gets out of the wheelchair, gets up, climbs off a diving board, jumps into the pool and gets back and gets back in the wheelchair. Keanu goes, oh, I have two meatball sandwiches, a tuna sandwich on wheat and two lemonades. While he's saying that, four guys jump out of a Cadillac in fucking giantest masks in the world, it is the best. And he never even registers it and shit. Uh, wh wh where are we? Uh, squid brains, improvised. Hi, what's your name? Ryan. Hi, Ryan. What was it? Squid brains. Oh, improvised. squid brain. Speaking to the mic, squid brain. <laughs> I don't know. I'd like to say it was. I'd like to say it's a, a moment of Gary Busean, uh where the, where, the in, where the universe opens up and whatever he's channeling has come through from another dimension. The ectoplasm that fills Gary Busey from time to time. You may remember in the movie, uh, the first Lethal Weapon one where he was a rock hard Nazi with white hair uh, who tortured Mel Gibson a lot with an electric prod while he was wet. Uh, I think we had that same kind of inspiration in that movie. Speak into the microphone, squid brain. It is one of the best lines in the movie. The other one I thought might be improvised was after they fuck up the entire first bust and Tom Sizemore is all mad because he has to wear a plaid vest. <laughs> you think I like these clothes? I don't think anyone likes those clothes. You're wearing a plaid vest. You're uncool in a meth dealer gang. 
You look like you went to big country's rummage sale. Is what she looked like, bro. No one was wearing Buffalo Plaid that year. I don't know where you got that fucking shirt. Uh, yeah. Keanu, after that, and they yell at them and everything, Keanu goes, it takes about a year to register, and they goes, shit. <laughs> shit, shit, shit. And I thought, did it really say shit four times in the script? Or did you throw in a few? <laughs> in a moment of blinding aesthetic, uh, overwhelming inspiration. Anybody else? Because we can... Uh, Chuckle down into the chuckle. Jennifer, will you hand me that for a second? I, I just need the folder there for a second because uh, I've got uh, Anthony, Anthony Kiedis audition piece in here and I want to read. <laughs> Joking. Yes, yes, sir. Person. Hi, Lewis. Do you think that the movie The Fast and the Furious directly ripped off this movie or do you think that this is a theme that has existed in movies before it? I think you'll find in a, a piece of property that we've discussed many times on this show, Seven Against Thebes, uh, by Euripides. Uh, I think you'll find that this movie observes the Aristotelian unities more strenuously than any other movie. Uh, Chekhov could have written this fucking script because... You may remember an earlier scene where they're gathered around the fire, uh, recalling their day and talking about the dangers they face, like the tribe always has. Uh, and Gromit gets up and goes, your balls are about this big. Uh, Patrick Swayze gives a little speech there about how you, it's not, what is it, when you die, it's whatever, doing, dying what you'd love, and fucking not, what is it? It's not tragic when you die doing something that you love. Thank you, darling. It's not tragic dying doing something you love. And Gromit goes, hell, I'm not going to live to see 30. <laughs> then who's the first fucking one to die, man? <laughs> I believe it was Chekhov who said, if you introduce a heedless kamikaze surfer dude in act one, <laughs> his demise must be made extant by the fifth act. And indeed, Gromit bites one for the team. Quite brutally. Yeah, it went bad, real bad. Uh, I was going to tell everyone where... There we are. I, uh, uh, let's do one more, and then... But before I go, uh, let's see. We're going to be at uh, Bar Lubitsch on the 8th of August. We'll be at the Punchline on the 2nd of August in San Francisco. Uh, Salem, Oregon on the 9th. Uh, that's right, Salem, Oregon. I'm going up to do a Steve Prefontaine comedy special. And then on... Uh, oh, no, that'll be the next day in Eugene. That'll be the 10th uh, uh, of August. I, lo I love Steve Prefontaine. And by the way, I saw him run many times. Jesus Christ, Greg, how old are you? I didn't say I saw Jesse Owens run. <laughs> Boy, that Pavo Nermi. Could he run the marathon? <laughs> that Jim Thorpe. I never thought Stockholm would calm down. ha, <laughs> Saw Steve Prefontaine run, and he did. He wore little shorts, and he had an awesome, awesome mustache. Uh, be at the Gilded Balloon in Edinburgh, the 16th through the... Uh, 16th, 19th, and 22nd, doing the podcast. Uh, the 16th through the 25th, the Assembly Rooms doing stand-up. Back at Bar Lubitsch in uh, September on the 5th. Um, then let's see what we got there. Uh, I'm in Arizona in, in, uh, doing the podcast in, uh, in, a, in a town called Mesa, which is just outside of Phoenix, and that will be in October. So I hope you can visit us there. And of course, if you want to know where we go and all that jazz, it's on Proofcast.com or GregProofs.com, and it's always free to download, uh, except sometimes you have to sit through whole movies in between. 
Let's take one more and then we'll uh, fuck off into the night uh, with that awesome rat song ringing in our ears. Any, any ladies want to talk? Oh, okay, go ahead, sir. Sorry. It's all right. <laughs> it's all right, bra. I know you. So, if and when they make a sequel, obviously Keanu could still play Keanu. Yeah. Who's going to play Patrick Swayze? Well, who who did they have lined up a couple years? What was it? Yeah, me. Yeah. (laughs) Pat Swayze did all those stunts and he learned to skydive and he surfed his ass off in this movie and he, uh, he got hurt and shit. Uh, everything you see, when he does, when he's in the air pirouetting and, and flying around, which is one of the best parts of the movie, it has nothing to do with anything other than it's a first date to when they have their big date. Because the first time they jump together, you may notice, uh, what I think James LaGrosse as Roach goes, this is fucking beautiful! Which is how gangsters register the perfection of the world. <laughs> the perfection of the world was not lost on the ex-presidents. As it was, in fact, be- fucking beautiful. But then when they all came together and Johnny joined their quintet, do you notice that they didn't hold hands? They grabbed each other's wrists so that the inference that they would once enter each other's body <laughs> as men of the homosexual persuasion would thereby be obviated. Because if I grab you by the wrist, that means I fucking have you. But if I grab you by the hand, that means I kind of want to be with you a little bit. <laughs> Maybe I watch the scene a little more intently than some of you. <laughs> who's that guy who's the lead in Magic Mike? Channing, Chanum, Chanum, Punum, Chanum, Punum? Tatum O'Neill, Punum, Channing? Carol, Carol Channing and Tatum O'Neill had a concocted a DNA son in their ovaries together. That son is Chanapunum Tatum. Chanapunum. He might could. He might could. It's tough, baby. He'd have to be older now, though, right? I mean, maybe Bodie would have to be like someone who's just, dare I say, Sam Elliott? He's, I don't know. He's too identifiable. Matthew McConaughey, really? But then Matthew McConaughey would lay the... Uh, Yeah, Kurt Russell's right up my street, buddy. I could have predicted that I would have said yes when you yelled that out. Matthew McConaughey does a little too much of that Texas thing sometimes, you know, where he'll go, fear causes hesitation. Hesitation causes your worst fears to come true. Like sometimes he's a little country bear jamboree for me. Whereas I think Kurt Russell would have no problem with Special Agent Utah. I knew I'd see you again. You're like, how did you fucking live through that wave? It hurt. Right? This has been The Smartest Man in the World, True Blue Cast. This has been the movie Point Break. You are beautiful to me. I wish you all good night. And may every page you turn be a satchel page. I love you. Thanks for coming out, you guys.